Would you open your Bibles with me to Psalm 42? I originally <clears throat> planned to preach this morning just from Psalm 42, but as I worked through it, I realized that I cannot separate Psalm 42 from Psalm 43. In fact, uh, for many, they're considered to be uh, together. They, they operate together. And so we're going to look at both of these psalms today. Um, when, I, when I decided to do this summer uh, through the psalms, I, I didn't really have the foresight uh, that I have now, uh, or what I, I didn't know what I know now, I should say that. And it, and it, it has come as a result of the study that I've been doing. Uh, every week building up to the, that week's sermon or the week after that sermon and, and preparing and, and working through all these texts and studying and praying, I just kept coming uh, across a repeated theme. It comes up again and again and again in this collection of writings that we know as the Psalms. This, this book is often thought of as a collection of songs, okay? And there are certainly some songs in this. Much of our worship music can be found, was, it can be rooted in what we find in the book of Psalms. Now, Psalms are also a place that we can turn to uh, to find verse after verse after verse declaring the praise of the Lord. But the Psalms are also a place that are filled with lament and anger and frustration and questions, all of which are directed to God. But sprinkled throughout every different facet of this book is a theme that comes back again and again and again, and it is the theme of hope. As I look back over every sermon that I preach in this series, each one of them contains some element of hope and a promise that is given to us by God. Perhaps I should have entitled the series A Summer of Hope. I did a little reading on the idea of hope from, from Scripture, and I want to share some thoughts with you uh, as we begin this morning about hope. <clears throat> hope is a very significant word in our understanding of who God is. Because hope is not based upon what we can do, it is based upon what God can do and what God has done. Hope is tied to the promises of God that we find throughout all of Scripture, whether it be the promises of God that are found in the Old Testament and the fulfillment of those promises, or perhaps it's the, the promise that we find in the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Or perhaps it is the continued work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers. Hope is tied to all of these things. In the Hebrew Bible or the Old Testament, there are at least 12 different words that are translated to hope in different contexts. Uh, one theme of hope is the expectation or the waiting for something good. And this was the hope that often the children of Israel had uh, in their hope for the promised Messiah. They hoped for 
a Messiah to come and to redeem and to restore and to rescue. And so much of their hope that we see from the children of Israel is really kind of based upon this promise that they knew was coming from God, that there was going to be a Redeemer. There was going to be a Messiah. Another theme that we find is that hope comes within and for a community. If you study hope in the Old Testament, you will see that hope is not an individualistic thing. The hope that they had was for all of them. It was for the nation of Israel. It was for the children of Israel. And if you think about it, this really reaffirms for us the necessity of community within the practice of our faith. Because it is within this community of faith that hope is born, that hope is seen, that hope is lived, that hope is testified about. Now, another theme for hope is that that hope is that of trust and confidence. And this teaches us that hope is, is not just a wish for things to be better in the future. I just wish that my situation could improve. I just wish that, that Jesus would come back. I just wish that, that I could be healed. I just wish that this would get better and that would get better. It's not just about hoping for what could be. It's based in trust and confidence, a trust that God will do what He has said He will do, that He will do what He has promised. And here's the thing. For that to work, there has to be a history. For that trust to function, there has to be somewhere in that story an understanding that at some point, what they're trusting in now, what they're hoping in now, has already proven to work. And the children of Israel had this. We know a story about the children of Israel They were caught in slavery, and God helped them to escape that. That's a miraculous story filled with absolutely awesome demonstrations of God's power and God's authority and God's sovereignty. And honestly, if you spend much time in the Old Testament, which you should, you will see that time and again, the writers of the Old Testament refer back to what God did with the children of Israel. Why? Because that is a place of trust and confidence for them in which they place their hope. There's one more theme that comes out of what we find regarding hope in the Old Testament, and this one is a little bit harder to describe. it's, It's unlike the other themes of hope because this one requires work. Sometimes pain and grief are a part of hope. Sometimes working through the difficulty of a relationship is necessary for hope. And if you think about it, this actually does line up with the consistency and the faithfulness of God Because when we look at the story of God in the Old Testament, we see that when people did not fulfill the requirements of God, there was always pain and suffering. There were always consequences to their actions. But this also pointed to the consistency of God. Parents, there is a great parenting lesson here. 
Your children need consistency not in the good, just in the good things, but they also need consistency in the tough things. And what this does is it becomes a source of hope, again, because God always did what God said He would do. So I want us to take those ideas of hope and plant them in our hearts this morning, and I want us to look into Psalm 42 and 43 together as we talk about hope, but I also want us to talk about lament. Psalm 42 begins with a very familiar passage to us. I'm just going to hit the first three verses as we begin today, and this is what it says. It says, as the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I go and stand before Him? Day and night I have only tears for food, while my enemies continually taunt me, saying, where is this God of yours? Now, many of us probably memorize this scripture as children, and we would know verse 1 to say, as the deer pants or as the deer panteth for water. The imagery here is, is one of a deer desperately coming to the edge of a bank, to the edge of a stream, and being so thirsty that the mouth would begin to froth out of the desire to have a drink. In fact, the actual Hebrew word here is desire. And so the psalmist is saying, as the deer desires the stream of water, so I desire you, God. I'm thirsty for you, the living God. When can I go and stand before Him? It's a very clear picture of sincere longing to be with the Lord. And he goes on and he, he creates this, this, this very dramatic picture of this, this picture of tears being the only nourishment that the psalmist has. And as I thought about this this week, I thought that is, that is much more relatable to us than it may seem on the surface. Have you ever been so beside yourself you weren't even hungry? In such a, in such a deep, dark place that you didn't even want to go sit at the dinner table, filled with so much sorrow, so much hurt, maybe so much anger that you didn't even want to consume what your body needs. And so, as the psalmist says, your tears serve to nourish you. you ever been there? I, I think this is far more relatable to us than it may seem because many of us will find ourselves at least in seasons so beside ourselves, so hurting, so broken that tears are all we can take. He goes on in verse 4 and he says this, my heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be. I walked among the crowds of worshipers leading a great procession to the house of God, singing for joy and giving thanks amid the sound of a great celebration. This is a, a bit of a recollection for the psalmist. He's thinking back to the way things used to be at some particular moment. And so this tells us that the psalmist uh, has been, in some way or another, he has been exiled from something or some place that he used to be. Something has changed from the past. He's not allowed to be in this place. He has been removed from this place and while you may not be able to relate to that exact same experience, the idea is the same. Your, your lament 
may not be quite the same, but the sentiment can certainly be understood. It is a longing that exists inside of us for something, perhaps a state of mind, maybe a stability that no longer exists. And you wish so badly that you could just go back to the way it was. Anybody? If I could just go back, if I could just go back to the way it was, if I could just go back to this particular season, if I could just go back two years ago, before March of 2020, if I could just, if I could just go back before the cancer set in, if we could just go back before uh, she had an affair, if we could just go back before we went bankrupt, if I could just go back to all of that, it'd be so much better. I just want to go back. And I think that this is where many people find themselves today. I just want to go back. I just want to go back to the good old days when all we sang was hymns in the church. I just want to go back to the good old days when the pastor tucked his shirt in. I just want to go back to the good old days. I want to go back to the good old days when all of my kids lived close enough that we could have Sunday dinner together every week. I just want to go back to this. I want to go back to that. A lot of us live there, but the problem is this. This is where too many people stay. You see, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the lament portion of this. It's natural. I just, I just wish that we could go back to this. I'll tell you, for about a year after March of 2020, the preeminent Emotion in my heart was, I just want to go back. Can we just reel this sucker back in? Can can we just get back to the way it was? Can we get rid of the the division and the and the the animosity that people have toward one another over, over something really stupid? And can we just go back? I want it so bad to just reel it back in. I think that a lot of people stay in that particular place because it's easy. And and listen, self-pity is often very self-satisfying. And, and here's another thing about this. That is exactly where the devil wants you to be. And, and, and the another thing is that sometimes when you do that, it's like people will get on your little pity pontoon. You know what I'm talking about? Hey, guys, I'm having, I, got a, I got a pontoon. We're gonna do, I'm doing a pity pontoon. Who wants to go with me? I am so with you. Great. We're going to cruise the lake of lament <laughs> on my pity pontoon. But, verse 5, the psalmist says, why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. Now, there's an idea. 
Why am I so discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I'm going to put my hope in God. All of a sudden, we have this incredible picture of lament and sadness and just deep sorrow, and then hope comes into the picture. Now, if we go back to what I mentioned towards the beginning of my message today, we do have to ask ourselves, which hope is this? And I'll tell you, this is a hope that is waiting and looking forward to something. That's how this one's interpreted. A hope that's waiting and looking forward to. There is a promise that is being anticipated. That's what the psalmist is hoping for, a, a, a promise that he's anticipating. Now, perhaps it's the anticipation of returning to the place that he's lamenting being gone from, but what is most likely the anticipation in this psalm, it is most likely centered around the promise of Jesus, the promise of a Messiah, and all that that involved. That's most likely where the hope rested. But it is the present hurts and the present realities that spur that hope forward. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. The situation that he was in, that he's just moaning and groaning about on his pity pontoon, is what spurs his hope forward. And then hope turns into something else. Go back to verse 5. He says, why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise Him again. I will praise Him again, my Savior and my God. Did you know that hope breeds praise? Did you know that? Hope breeds praise because hope is, is firmly rooted in something that is beyond who you are, beyond your own circumstances. And when you see hope and you believe in hope, then that breeds inside of you a praise for whatever it is that you have placed your hope in. But did you know that lament breeds hope? Lament breeds hope. Because if it's that bad, I promise you, you're hoping it gets better. Your sorrow will always produce some sort of hope in you. The question is, where is your hope? In what, in whom is your hope? He goes on, verse 6. Now I am deeply discouraged. Here we go again. Now I'm deeply discouraged, but I will remember you, even from distant Mount Hermon, the source of the Jordan, from the land of Mount Mizar, I hear the tumult of the raging seas as your waves and surging tides sweep over me. But each day the Lord pours His unfailing love upon me, and through each night I sing His songs, praying to God who gives me life. Do you see it again? Lament, hope, praise. Lament, hope, praise. In this little section, the author, is, he's very discouraged, and he begins to remember things about the past, but then he remembers the covenant of God's love for him, and out of that hope is born, and out of that praise is born. But imagine if the lament were just left there on its own. Imagine the downturn that would be born in someone's spirit if that was the end of the story. 
I had a conversation with someone recently who, 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 who had gotten to a place in their life where they were just completely dismissive of God. They, had, they have gone through marital strife. They have gone through family strife. They have gone through any, any you name it, they have probably dealt with it. And, and this person had gotten to the point where they just decided God was not interested in their, in their prayers whatsoever. And so there was this dismissive spirit in them. There was this rejection of God that had begun to fester inside of them. And, and mind you, this is not where they were two years ago. But this is where they were today. But as I began to talk to them, I began to kind of get an idea of what was going on. And here's the thing. The prayers that were being offered were 100% lament. Have you ever been around a complainer? They're fun, aren't they? You know, you get around a coworker and you say, you know, Pete, I just love how you complain about everything. That's what makes me want to spend the day with you. His prayers were just laments. His prayers were just complaints. And as I was finishing my time with him, I said, well, listen, I know you don't believe in prayer anymore, but I do. And so I'm going to pray for you. And I'll tell you why. Because <laughs> your reality is, is tough. That's, that's hard. That hurts. But I've seen God restore that before. I've seen God turn those situations completely around. So yeah, man, this is tough. This is hard. My heart breaks for you. But I, I know a God that can turn this situation around. And He is awesome. Do I think it matters if your prayers are only lament? Absolutely. Absolutely. I absolutely do. Keep reading with me. Verse 9. Oh God, my rock, I cry. Why have you forgotten me? Why must I wander around in grief, oppressed by my enemies? Their taunts break my bones. They scoff, where is this God of yours? Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise Him again, my Savior and my God. I think it's interesting that the psalmist calls God his rock right from the very beginning because sometimes we do the same thing, but we still get stuck in our moans and groans. Dear God Almighty in heaven, I, I believe in who you are. Let me just lay it out there, and that's where it stops. <laughs> we profess it, but it's not inside us. The psalmist's beliefs do come out in the end. He says, why am I so been out of shape? I have hope in God. So what will I do? I will praise Him again, again, again. Then he moves into Psalm 43. He says, declare me innocent, O God. Defend me against these ungodly people. Rescue me from these unjust liars, for you are God, my only safe haven. Why have you tossed me aside? Why must I wander around in grief, oppressed by my enemies? Send out your light and your truth. Let them guide me. Let them lead me to your holy mountain, to the place where you live. There I will go to the altar of God, to God, the source of all my joy. And I will praise you with my harp, O God, my God. 
And then here comes the praise again. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. And I will praise Him again. My Savior and my God. Lament, hope, praise, repeat. <laughs> Lament, hope, praise, repeat. This is kind of life, isn't it? Lament, hope, praise, repeat. Lament feeds hope and hope feeds praise and life feeds lament. It's a cycle. It's a natural cycle and it can be a healthy cycle. I think that we don't spend enough time talking about the reality of lament and giving it the space that it deserves in our lives. And we have told ourselves and we believe in our minds that if anybody knew how much I was lamenting, they might think less of me. Shame on you. We all lament. We all have moans. We all have groans. We all feel the pain of whatever it is that we're facing in our life. The question is, do you let your lament turn into hope and your hope turn into praise? Um, this past week, somebody sent me a podcast to listen to, and, and I get a lot of these kinds of things, and it, I'm going to be honest with you, it's hard to listen to everything, and I do try. And this one, I managed to be able to squeeze into a couple car rides, and it was later in the week, and, and as I was listening to it, I thought, man, this is, this, the timing of this is just impeccable. Um, the, the, the core of what the podcast was talking about was not necessarily relating to what I wanted to share with you today, but there was a piece of it, and so I want to give credit where credit is due. These, these thoughts, these ideas stem from Dr. David Jeremiah. He was talking about the Lord's Prayer, and I want to read that with you this morning. It's going to be on the screen, and I've, I've placed the King James Version on the screen, and this is for a reason. Number one, many of us learned it this way. And there's something that's in the King James Version that is not in other versions. And this is what it says. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Dr. Jeremiah was explaining how this prayer is bookended with praise. Uh, if you do much biblical study, you may have noticed that verse 13, uh, at least verse 13b, may not be in your translation of Scripture. The Bible that I use to read from most of the time is the NLT. It is not in mine. However, there is a note at the bottom. And the reason that it is not in many of those translations is because later manuscripts called into question whether or not those words were actually in it. And so newer translations do not include 13b. Lena, can you go back to verse 13, please, so they can see that? So the, very, the second half of that, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. But this Lord's Prayer opens with praise, and then it switches to priorities, the things that are important for us. That's where our laments are often found. And, and there's a cycle 
that exists here. We begin with praise. We express our laments, our requests, our concerns, and then we end with praise. It starts with a praise of God saying, you know, you are God in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. And then it says, then it shifts to us. Now, Father, would you give us what we need for today? Would you forgive us as we work to forgive others? Would you lead us not into temptation? And would you deliver us from evil? And then it comes back full circle to praise. And he says, for yours is the kingdom, and yours is the power, and yours is the glory forever. And Dr. Jeremiah said there are four things that, that, that are so important in this last sentence. Attributes of God that we, that we see in this. The first one is that we must praise God for His sovereignty. He is Lord. Yours is the kingdom. We must praise Him. He is sovereign over all things. It is God that makes all things work. Jeremiah 10, 12 says that the Lord made the earth by His power. He preserves it with His wisdom, with His understanding. He stretched out the heavens. He is sovereign in everything that's going on. In your affairs, God is sovereign. Now, I particularly am not of the mind that God operates like a puppeteer and we just do whatever God wants to do and I am not of the mind that God is is in control in the sense that that he is managing everything in that way but I do believe that God is hands-on and I believe that God at any point and any time when he desires could alter the course of everything but I also believe that we as humankind have have the ability to make a huge impact often by our disobedience. That much of the muck that we're dealing with in this life is not attributed to God being in control and punishing people for the things they've done, but is a result of our stupidity and our sin and our selfishness and our pride. And God in His sovereignty is watching over us going, I love them, but man, are they difficult. He is still on the throne. But we we must praise Him for His authority. God is not absent. He's not far off pushing little buttons and just His power is everywhere and it is present. Isaiah 40 says this, have you not heard, have you not understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of His understanding. He gives power to the weak, strength to the powerless. Even youths will become weak and tired, and young men will fall in exhaustion, but those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles, run and not grow weary, walk and not faint. That last sentence also reminds us that we must praise Him for His majesty Thine is the glory, yours is the glory, the glory belongs to God. And then there's one final word that Dr. Jeremiah pointed out. Can you go back, Lena? 
one final word, forever. Forever. You know that means before you. It also means after you. For yours is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever. This is how Jesus taught us to pray, but I just wonder, do you pray like this? I wonder if this is what it sounds like when you are lamenting to God about whatever it is that's, that's going on in your life, the things that are weighing you down, the problems that you're facing when you're feeling the weight of whatever it is that you are personally dealing with, when you are, as the psalmist says, so desperate for God to show up. My soul longs for Him like a deer longs for a drink of water. I want God to show up so badly. I'm so desperate. My desire for God is, is so strong. Are you making sure that whatever your complaint is, whatever your request is, it barely has a chance to escape your mouth before a declaration of hope and praise? follows on its footsteps. Not only does this change how we see things, it changes how others see Christ in us. Uh, you know, I may be going through a rough patch, but God has not failed me. God is faithful. I will praise Him. I may not understand what's happening, and it, and it may be going on a whole lot longer than I had anticipated or what I really want, but my hope, it doesn't rest in anything I can do or what you can do, but in what God can do. So, I will praise Him. Jesse and Tammy Conkey, longtime members, a part of our church, have been through their own string of of crazy things over the past few years. But just recently, Jesse was diagnosed with cancer. And, uh, you know, Tammy is really good about keeping in touch with me, and, and they show up every Sunday. They don't, I don't know if they've missed much throughout this journey. And I'll tell you, man, if, if I was dealing, and I don't, I don't, I don't want baby food. You know, I don't want your pureed, you know, infamil. I don't want that, right? I have not heard him complain one time. Not one time. That doesn't mean that there's not a lament in you. God, why am I, uh, why do I have to deal with this? One more thing. God, I really wish you would take this from me. I, I, I wish, I wish God didn't have to deal with this. God, this this vanilla flavor is just not cutting it. But in that lament, one thing I always saw from Jesse and Tammy was hope. Hope. We are just really trusting God that He's going to heal. And we, we trust and know that God is sovereign, that He remains in control of this. And whatever He wants, we will, we will praise Him. And every Sunday I see him stand right here in these seats, because these are Jesse and Tammy Reserve, don't even try. I see him sit right here and stand in these seats. You know what they do when we're worshiping? They sit there with a 
horrible expression on their face because their life just stinks. No, their hands are lifted in the air and they're singing at the top of their lungs and it doesn't matter how much pain he was in, how tired he was, he was here with hope in his heart and praise on his tongue. Give God glory, not them. That is a picture of lament, hope, and praise. Lament, hope, and praise. I bet there are more stories that could be told. What will your story be like? Will your story be the one that people will tell sometime down the road? Will they tell your story and recall that you went through some tough times, but that through all of it you kept your eyes on Jesus? That you saw that He was the giver of hope, the one constant presence in your life? Will they see that through all that you dealt with, you never stopped praising God? Or will they see that it was all about your three-hour cruise on the lake of lament? We laugh, but guys, can we just be serious with one another for a moment? Some of you have been out to sea for a while. That's where you want to spend most of your time. Woe is me who wants to come along. The lake of lament is a very sad place. (laughs) It will ruin you. The lake of lament will destroy you from the inside out because there's no hope. There's no hope in the lake of lament. There's no space for praise because on the lake of lament, it's all about you. How do you make yourself feel better in light of how you're not feeling that great? How do you medicate your depression? How do you comfort your disposition? That's what happens on our pity pontoon as we cruise across the lake of lament. We will do all kinds of things, and other, will pe- other people will do all kinds of things for us. But I'm telling you, this is not a place where God resides. Now, does this mean we don't lament? No, we do. And we must make space for that. You must make space in your life for lament. Number one, because it's very natural Cry. It's okay. I ought to be evidence of that. (laughs) It's okay. Weep. Moan. Man, if you don't think it's okay, go read the Psalms. But don't, don't let it in there. Don't let the last thing that comes out of your mouth be, woe is me. The last thing that comes out of your mouth must be preceded by, my hope is found in nothing less 
than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And I will ever praise Him. I will ever praise Him. My hope is that you leave with this today. We're not going to have an altar call per se. But my hope is that you will leave with this today as a tool to perhaps carry around your pocket and to remind you that it's okay. It's okay to weep. It's okay to weep. But let your weeping turn to hope and your hope turn to praise. And don't freak out when you come back around to the weeping again. Just look forward to the hope, look forward to the praise, and that will carry you through regardless of the final outcome. Would you stand with me? Heavenly Father, You are great, mighty, powerful, loving Father. And God, my, my prayer for this body today and all those who are watching with us online this morning is to understand that the sorrow side of our humanity is not something that must be rejected or pushed aside, but it can be welcomed. It can be embraced for a season. Because it's how you create us. You created us with, with the ability to have this sadness. This is how we express hurt. This is how we express pain and how we express loss, concern, frustration. But that, God, I pray we would also be a people that don't get stuck there, that don't spend our lives nursing our pity wounds but would spend our lives focusing on you who, are, who is our hope and giving our praise to you who is worthy. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.